tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. And thanks for downloading and listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. The one place you need to go when you want to hear two podcast luminaries discuss, dissect, and review the comics featuring the Tangent Universe characters. Heroes from a parallel Earth where their names might be familiar, but their origins aren't. And this time out, we're nearing the end of the final full story featuring the Tangent characters, as we'll be looking at issue number 10 of Tangent Superman's Reign. After discovering that the first wife of the Tangent Superman is truly alive and well, Batman Blue tries to get her on the side of the Earth-1 heroes in an attempt to prevent what happened on the Tangent Earth from happening on Earth-1, or New Earth. I'm not certain what kind of designation there is after Infinite Crisis. Plus, Guy Gardner is awesome. (laughs) That is a simple statement of fact, but it's also true within this book as well. But before I go any further, let me introduce your two hosts. First, I'm Sean Ingle, and with me as always is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Michael Bradley. How's it going, Michael? Hey, everybody. Really good. I'm glad to get back to these comics. Mm -hmm. Like I said, um, the past issue, we got a new artist in, and again, not demeaning Wes Craig for those couple issues that we had, but his was kind of a downturn in the art. The artwork's come back with Carlos Magno again. Uh, Dan Jerkins is getting a really good story written. It's really keeping me optimistic for reading this. So I'm I'm looking forward to to finishing this up. As as sad as it's going to be that we're going to be actually completing all this, it's so far been a fun read, and I've really been enjoying it. Yes, when uh, we had another issue of strong writing, and you know, just speaking in, in total, I think the art was even better this issue than last issue it felt more more refined like he was more used to drawing the characters mm-hmm. oh definitely I, you know i think i think we're seeing a nice uptick in the books um and you know not to truly spoil ahead but i think we're gonna get even uh, i think maybe one of my favorite cliffhanger endings at the end of this book so i think uh, we're in for a good read this time out but before we uh, get into the book, do we have any uh, feedback that we want to address before we, we go on? We have one piece of feedback. It's a website comment from episode 26, which uh, I forget. Was, was that, that issue issue 7 of the book? Yes, I think. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, issue number 7 of Superman's Reign. And this comes from Matthew T. Cody. And just for a little background before I read his comment, uh, we, we had some comments in that 
that episode about Pooch, who is the cybernetic dog that hangs out with Manhunter. But Matthew T. Cody writes, I'm a, I'm a mailman. Pooch scares me. I'm enjoying your coverage of Superman's reign. Keep up the great work. <laughs> I can imagine if you were a mailman and you saw a golden cybernetic dog mm-hmm. sitting at the porch of a place that you had to deliver mail to, yeah, you'd be kind of uh, disturbed about that as well. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that never happens to you, Matt. Uh, I don't want to see you get your leg bit off by a cybernetic dog. I wouldn't be too worried. Pooch seems pretty well trained, so unless Matthew T. Cody is a supervillain, I think... Yeah. You're not a supervillain, are you, Matthew? Please uh, reveal that to us in, in the next comment that you leave for the website. <laughs> because cause if so, we'll have to uh, sick the JLA on you. Or the tangent, you know, JLA or Secret Six. Who knows? Uh, what's the what's the uh, the group with uh, Dumb Bunny and oh, uh, the Captain Carrot and his amazing? Are you talking Captain Carrot? No, oh. the uh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank here. Sorry, so am I. So am I. Hang on, I'm going to Google this real quick because it's going to bug me if I don't. This will be scintillating podcasting for the listeners. We'll just put in the girl from Ipanema. That's what they do there on Back to the Bands. We can do something entertaining and vamp while I look this up. Well, sure. Uh, Infi- um, the Inferior Five. That's who Oh, yeah. There we go. With with Dumb Bunny and the, the big green, like the big fat guy with the green costume. and Wasn't that Big Sur? Or am I thinking of... No, or- Big Sur was from the uh, Giffen Dimitteis era. Justice okay. League. And that wasn't the Inferior Five. No. Okay. Oh well. Anyway, Google Inferior Five. You will see. There you yeah. go. Yeah, they're, they're, it's like a parody, uh, parody team, a parody of, of like the Fantastic Four and that kind of thing. You know, they were created by E. Nelson Bridwell back in the I want to say mid '60s. Nice. Yeah. But anyway, uh, you ready to get into the issue? I am, sir. Let's uh, go ahead and do this. All right. Well, this time out, we are looking at Tangent, Superman's Reign, number 10, which has a cover date of February 2009 and was released on – is that right? February? Yeah. and was released on December 17th, 2008, which makes the last issue of the series in 2008. And it's got a cover price of $2.99, and the cover is by Brad Walker and John Livesay. And the story inside is Superman's Reign, chapter 10. And credits are Dan Jurgens Writer, Carlos Magno Pencils, Julio Ferreira Inks, Steve Wands Letters, Canilla Trip Colors, Adam Schlagman Editor, and Tangent Universe Created by Dan Jurgens. On Tangent Earth, the two Batmans and Manhunter have found Lola Dent, estranged and long-thought-dead wife of Harvey Dent, a.k.a. the Tangent Universe Superman. Batman confronts Lola, saying they need her help to stop Harvey's takeover of the DC Earth. Lola is reluctant, saying Harvey's initial actions on the Tangent Earth were desperately needed. Batman counters, asking if that was so, why she left him. Finally surmising Lola hesitated when Harvey started destroying governments and eliminating freedom. Lola's reaction proves Batman's assumption to be correct, and the Dark Knight repeats his plea for help. On the DC Earth, Power Girl and Guy Gardner recover Superman, who was knocked unconscious, taking the full brunt of the nuke that exploded last issue before heading back to the aircraft carrier which Harvey stranded on an iceberg before disappearing. 
Back on Earth Tangent, the collected Green Lanterns pool their energies and with a boost from Black Lightning and the Tangent Atom are able to create a portal back to Earth DC, rejoining the collected heroes. The Tangent heroes are wary of Lola's presence, given that she had helped Harvey in his takeover of their world, but Batman says not to worry because they can trust her. Meanwhile, Harvey has taken up home inside Superman's Arctic Fortress of Solitude. With the leaders of the world as his captives, Harvey knows the heroes of two Earths will never surrender willingly. So he makes a pitch to the army, to the only army he feels capable of defeating the greatest superheroes of two worlds, the alliance of the world's greatest supervillains known as the Injustice League. Yes. This Gee, I'm sorry. This final splash page just made me so happy, and <laughs> and it's it's such a great it's such a great concept. Yeah. If you're going to fight the most powerful beings on the planet, who are you going to recruit? The most powerful villains on the planet. Now, this does put Superman in kind of a bind. He's allying himself with obviously what we know to be the forces of evil. But the fact that we see all these people together at one time, like the, like the Injustice League here, ready to take on the Justice League, it's just it, – this is a great, great cliffhanger ending to the book. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those that really does make me want to go and get the next issue here. Yeah, and it kind of came out of uh, – I don't want to say it came out of left field, but it, it surprised me because throughout this series, we've been so focused on – we being you know you and I, the reader, have been so focused on – the interaction between the DC heroes and the Tangent heroes that we weren't really thinking about the villains. So it, it's nice that they kind of popped them in and, and didn't leave them completely out of the story. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I had no real ideas that we would be seeing any of Earth's major supervillains in this book. It would be just our heroes versus their heroes, right. or essentially our heroes versus the Tangent Superman. And the fact that he went and recruited Earth's heroes to try and take out Earth, – Earth's villains to try and take out Earth's heroes just ups the stakes for the rest of the story. And you know, see this is coming right near the conclusion of it. I can't wait to read the next couple issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I liked – I liked the issue as a whole really. Um, like the one we talked about last episode, it was a step up from what we got in the past couple and I feel like we, we got some actual story progression and a, a nice, satisfying chunk of the story here. Mm-hmm. I, ironically, this was one of the shortest synopsis I've had for any on, on this show, but well, aside from the backups. But uh, I think that has more to do with the fact that the story spends a lot of time moving the pieces into place, which is easy to sum up in just a couple sentences. Yeah, the, there's a lot of the beginning of the story dealing with Batman and his discussion uh, with Lola Dent, yeah. and then the return of the DC characters to their own universe. So there's really not much to describe other than that, but it is putting all the pieces into play where you're moving towards that final con- that final confrontation, the final conclusion. And now knowing that that final confrontation is going to involve a number of Earth's greatest villains, it completely ups the stakes for this book. And the Scarecrow. Well, <laughs> granted, yes, there's a scarecrow, but we also have Lex Luthor and his right. power armor. I'm not going to complain about that at all. So, did you have the superpowers figures? Were you into those when you were a kid? I had a I had a couple of them, okay. and I remember 
I remember the wanting the Lex Luthor one because I wanted to see him just boot people around in his power <laughs> armor. Yeah. But he, that that's awesome. That th- this this splash page caught me by surprise, and I'm so glad that it's in here. Right. But if we don't have any more uh, in general to talk about, do you want to take a little break and then we'll come back and get into specifics? Sure thing. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Yo, Joe! We'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe American hero. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe against Cobra and Destro, fighting to save the day. He never gives up, he's always there, fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe is there! Attention, Joes, this is General Hawk. I have an important mission for you. I need you to listen to G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. It's a monthly podcast where Aaron Moss, codename Head, and two other Joes, Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, will be reporting on the comic book G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. Previously published by Marvel, currently being published by IDW Comics. We'll also cover the special missions, the yearbooks, order battles, etc. To hear their message, report to gijoe.headspeaks.com or iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can get further information at Facebook, Google+, and Twitter. All under G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Dismissed. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, is a proud member of the headcast family. The world never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. True Freaks just got a little more random. Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that looks at everything random in the world of popular culture, is now on the Two True Freaks Network. Every episode is something different. Movies, comics, television, music. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Pop Culture Affidavit, The Sworn Testimony of a Dork, at twotruefreaks.com and popcultureaffidavit.com. Okay, we're back, and let's go ahead and take a look at the cover. What do you think of this one? I should like this cover more than I do. Mm-hmm. The characters... That's, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it's one of those covers that's dynamic. There's a lot going on. But they they don't feel like they're really interacting. The Tangent Superman and our Superman are both facing towards the reader. It doesn't look like they're facing off. It's like I said, it's dynamic. There's a lot going on. The artwork isn't necessarily bad, but it's just, I think one of the things is it doesn't have anything to do with the story within. Right. Yes. Granted, the story within was uh, a sort of discussion between Batman and Lola to try and get her 
on the side of quote unquote good to help out the Earth One superheroes, but they really couldn't depict that on the cover. It's it just doesn't work for me. And I wonder, you know, I also have to wonder, and this is just me being snarky, did they get John Woo in to draw the cover as well? Because in the background I see some doves flying by. <laughs> and I thought, you know, maybe that was just some of his aesthetic working into it. I don't know. I think part of it is, you know, when I look at this cover, my eye goes right to the center part, like where Superman's trunks are and, and the other Superman's knee. I mean, all the action is, is at the top, which is what you want to grab the eye, the, the action part. And it's at the very top of the cover, and then the logo's at the bottom, so your eye kind of bounces all around and, and finally settles on the center, which is exactly the worst place on this piece of art for the for the eye to go and it's just I, I don't know maybe if they would have moved it all down and, See, and refined the poses a little bit it, it, yeah I think that's that may be also a problem with the trade dress I remember yeah. early, on earlier issues we commented how a lot of the artwork was covered up yeah. by the fact that they had to have the logo down there at the bottom so we weren't getting all that of you know we weren't getting all the art I think now that they've moved the art up and had all the action at the top of the page when you look at the center of the page and all you see is you know tangent Superman looking like he's about to knee Clark in the groin <laughs> it really does nothing to sort of sell what's going on. And yes, your, your eye is taken away from where it should be in the, on the cover to actually make you have a desire to buy the book. Like I said, it's nothing, there's nothing egregiously bad about it, but it just isn't as eye catching as some of the other covers. I'm going back and looking at the uh, previous book, you know, the two Batman on the cover. And that's, that's just spectacular. This is just, there, yeah. So. Uh, but moving inside, I, I really like this splash page a lot. Mm-hmm. This is an excellent example of how to do a simple but effective splash. Um, Lola looks really good here. I love the Kirby crackle from her eyes. The the stairs cascading up in the background give it give it detail and a, and kind of a, a depth of field, but without being distracting. I just like it a whole lot. I, I do as well. I think I think uh, Magno does a great job with the character. Again, the Kirby crackle around the eyes gives that sort of that's that's a, a stylistic design of you know massive amounts of energy coming off of her. The only comment that I have is her uniform has the most uncomfortable symbol on it. It's it's essentially a giant arrow that uh, begins at like her abdomen and points directly downward. So, you know, it's yeah. basically, you know, it, it's, it's an arrow pointing down to her crotch. And I don't know why she'd have this kind of symbol. I don't know what it's supposed to represent, but it's there. And it, I guess, you know, I guess it'd look even more, it'd be more difficult to draw if it was higher up, but I don't know. It's just... It's kind of like the new 52 Supergirl costume. It it draws your eye to a very uncomfortable place. Mm -hmm. Yes. No, I I fully agree. Aside from that detail, I do like her costume, though. Mm -hmm. I I like... 
it's very different from the tangent Superman. His is more that sort of flowing Asian key type robe thing. And hers is more standard spandex superhero costume. Mm -hmm. I do like the sort of half off the shoulder look. That's kind of, that gives it a sort of unique design. Um, Like I said, the the suit itself is fine and her figure uh, and form looks great. It's just a kind of uncomfortable symbol there that just, that would be the only thing that I think detracts from it. Right. Or I maybe also, attracts if you're looking towards that. <laughs> I also wonder why she's just lounging around the house in this if she's trying to keep a low profile, but comics. So. Well, yeah. I mean, you, does, don't superheroes always hang around in their costume? <laughs> I mean, doesn't Guy Gardner like go to the you know TGI Fridays in his uniform? I think that's pretty well, much Guy what probably he does. Well, yeah, that is that is true. It's Guy, so... Um, my next notes are on pages three through five, and it's essentially about Batman trying to reason with Lola. I, I appreciate that Batman is, you know, he realizes that he can't try and take her down, that the only way that he can try and get her on their side is by rationalizing with her. Mm-hmm. And. I, I think, you know, again, not trying to put emphasis on the fact that Batman is the smartest person around because I don't agree with that, but I like that he's being smart here. I like that he's trying to go for a more psychological approach to dealing with her rather than, you know, physical takedown because obviously that doesn't work. I am kind of concerned that he lets slip, I guess it's on page five. Uh, the last panel, he asked for the uh, Miraclo pill, and he says he, he initially says I, and then he corrects himself, says we need those powers to make sure that it never happens again. Mm-hmm. Is this is you know if this is more of the paranoid Batman who's like no one should have superpowers and I need to have all these things in case Superman goes rogue and I have to take him down type thing? I'm not down with this. And I hope this is something that Jurgens isn't writing for Batman because I, you know, I, I, I've never been on the side that Batman is so paranoid about all these superpowered people that he's around that he feels the need to have something to be able to take them out if he needs to. And this this one line kind of concerned me in the book. Yeah, I read it that way too when I when I read the book and I was going back through it for my notes. And I think he just means because he says the miracle pill he gave you granted you powers on par with his, and then he says I we need those powers to make sure this never happens again. I don't I don't think he's saying like I need to take the miracle pill to have the powers, but more like we need you to use the powers that he gave you to. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see how he's reading it. It's like I we right. You know, he's he, rather than saying that I need them personally, he's saying we, as in including Lola in to all of this. Yeah. So he needs those powers to take down the tangent Superman, yeah. and make sure that never happens again. Now, reading it that way, I could I could definitely see how that would be that that would make it feel less like Batman's being sort of paranoid about this. <laughs> he's paranoid because he's Batman. But well, yes. Uh, but these pages were pretty dialogue heavy, but it felt like a very genuine conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, Batman is spelling out a lot of things, but it it feels like this is what he 
he would say because he's not saying these things just for the readers. He needs to lay it out there so that Lola knows that that he knows where she stands, and then he can use that to persuade her. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does strike me how interesting it would be, or would have been, to to see the story of what happened after the end of the second wave. You know, to see the defeat of the ultra humanite and, and see the takeover and and take him. Uh, Taking on all these heroes and then their relationship slowly dissolving. Yeah, it's, there's just so much backstory there. And um, while I lament that we never saw that story in greater detail, I also kind of celebrate that it's there because it really speaks again to just how fleshed out this world is. Mm-hmm. And and once again, it's kind of that thing of as much as I would like to see that. I would rather just have it in my mind and have the knowledge that it did happen yeah. rather than have it spelled out. Because a lot of times when you get when you get these stories that are just hinted at and later on, say, creators go back and flesh those things out, a lot of times they don't work out to the way that they turned out in your mind. So I'd rather it just our imaginations can fill in exactly what happened in that and it doesn't have to be specifically spelled out because then we all get sort of nitpicky and like well how did this happen and why did this happen so I am glad that it's at least addressed in the book but I'd be concerned if it were actually fully fleshed out and we were actually told specifically what happened mm-hmm. um, I was going to say you know, since you cleared it up on last episode on page six i was gonna go where's aquaman and all of this but since you cleared up that this was final crisis and aquaman technically was supposed to be dead you know that's why he's not down there trying to help out superman but yeah i, I think he was I'm, I'm pretty sure he was dead i'll take your word on it because i i unfortunately wasn't reading that much comics yeah. during the final crisis era yeah um but even to, to again compliment carlos magno even unconscious at the bottom of the ocean, Carlos Magno's Superman looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't complain about Superman in any of these books. I mean, again, with Wes Craig, he did all right with Superman, but this is back to this is back to almost the Eichel style. He looks powerful. He looks imposing. Even though he's been knocked out sitting at the bottom of the ocean, he looks really good. Yeah. Uh, page seven. Who wants a Power Girl Guy Gardner road trip comic? This guy. <laughs> you know, I, I like this because all the times I've seen interaction with Power Girl and Guy, and, and one of the last ones I actually read was those uh, Giffen De Mateus uh, one shot or sort of one shot stories in JLA Classified where they did. Okay. Uh, the, uh, there was a story called I Can't Believe It's Not the Justice League, and it was essentially. Giffen and DeMatteis, and I I want to say Kevin McGuire came back to do the art on it, and it was a story of Booster Gold and Blue Beetle and Power Girl and Ralph Dibney, the elongated man, somehow getting a hold of one of Dr. Fate's little mystical things and getting transported to hell, along with Guy Gardner, who at the time had the yellow power ring, and them having to escape from hell and at that time guy and power girl really didn't get along but i like the relationship they're having here it's that kind of bickering fun sniping each other relationship and yeah uh, you know i i wouldn't mind seeing that i think uh maybe 
I know Amanda Connor is doing that the Starfire book. Yeah, if Amanda Connor could do like a, because I know right now DC's into doing the miniseries. I know they're doing Bizarro as a miniseries. Mm-hmm. They're doing Batmite as a miniseries. Dan Jurgens. Yeah, and Dan Jurgens is supposed to be doing uh, uh, that Superman that came out of the Convergence, the one who was married to mm-hmm. uh, Lois Lane and had a baby, and he's supposed to be doing a miniseries with that as well. So. If DC were to do these little miniseries things, I would love to see a Power Girl Got Gardner thing. <laughs> Just watching them sort of as an odd couple of superheroes. And with if Amanda Connor could get behind it and Jimmy Palmiotti, I'd buy that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Get, get on that, DC. <laughs> Not that you're listening at all. Well, you know. Uh, page eight, we have a nice shot of the tangent Green Lantern, even though her hair is miscolored. But. Yeah, it's all kind of. It's like red. Orange, blau, blonde. Yeah, yeah. that's. But it's weird. a nice, it's a nicely drawn panel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, I don't have any problem with mangoes or Magno's art here. Mm-hmm. Yo, know, go ahead. Um, no, I was gonna say in the bottom panel. I'm glad they did it, but it's we have a legion of superheroes level of character IDs here. Yes. <laughs> well, and then again. Some of these people you may not exactly know. I mean, I was not all that aware of Black Lightning being a uh, a major character in the DC universe, and people might not know about Black Canary. She's sort of shunted off to the end. But yeah, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine little character blurbs here on this page on this one panel. So yeah, that is a oh not yeah oh yeah nine in this panel right yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of them here. So you are correct. This is this is getting some information out on these characters. Yeah, and we you know we just we just ding the colorist a little bit with the hair in the Green Lantern panel. But I, I don't think that I've given enough praise to Canela Trip in the work she's done or he's done on this series. Um, he's done a really good job of of making the art pop. You know, we've gone through three different artists and. We've, we had a lot of praise for Jamal Eigel, less so for Wes Craig, just be, not really uh, on the technical standpoint, but ju- it just didn't really fit the series. And then we have uh, Carlos Magno, and it, as, as good as the art has been, you know, the coloring has made it even better. Mm-hmm. And she's coloring, or I keep saying she, I'm very sorry. He has, has colored a lot of diverse different characters and, and situations and backgrounds and just done a really great job. Yeah, well, and yeah, and you can see the distinction of it on, on the next page, on page nine, where you've got the energy of Black Lightning and uh, the Atom, yeah. one being a very blue energy and that sort of blending of that, and the purplish sort of energy that the Atom's building up. Then moving on to the next page as they combine it with the Green Lantern energy that's all this sort of bright green. It's It's really very impressive. Now, I know they have, with computer coloring, they have a lot more depth of the color to work with Mm -hmm. but i think i think they're doing a really dynamic job with it and and even the shading and the coloring on that first panel there as you see the atom powering up his energy and the sort of glow coming off on his face that's something you couldn't uh get in earlier in comic books and it's done really well here right let's see i don't have any real notes until page 11 uh okay go ahead with that Okay, I think I said last issue, I was kind of concerned that uh, the Tangent Superman had wiped out or possibly killed all of the uh, people who were on the 
the aircraft carrier because <laughs> supposedly there were all the major world leaders on this aircraft carrier and where was the military i guess what he did was he transported them all to the surrounding ships in this armada and essentially beached them on this one island so it, it again shows that the tangent superman is driven to get his point of view done but he's not so driven that he's ready to kill people so that's good at least that's a good thing yeah um page 12 we have a really great splash is that page 13 I can't. Uh, these pages yes. are numbered. Yes, where they're the all popping where out of the. They're all popping, they're all out, of popping the out of the, uh, the Green Lantern boom tube. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, now, again, I, I, I keep on saying it. Jamal, I go on that one splash where you had all the tangent hero, or you had Superman viewing all Earth One's heroes and villains. That was really good. I think this is comparable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everyone's got a good pose. I like the lanterns flying out. Wally at front, really nice. It, it, it's yeah, it's really good. And and again, there's there's heavy use of Kirby Crackle, and I think that definitely sells the sort of energy that's supposed to be popping off this page. So mm-hmm. really liking it. And when I saw this, one of my first thoughts before I actually read the page was that hey, they're popping out over the ocean, and at least half of them can't fly. And then I get to the bottom of the page, and we get that line from Plastic Man about exactly that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, kudos to Dan Jurgens for, for thinking ahead. Yeah, and I, I, I like that. Now Plastic Man, his coloring has changed to a little orange. And I think we saw a little bit of that in that, uh, I think, in the West Craig issue where he was smashing down the door that he didn't mm-hmm. look like the same coloring. Maybe this is – and I think we assume that that might be influenced by um, – what's his name? Uh, the the guy from the Batman book and uh, Hex working their magic on him, Sir William. Oh yeah, is that who I'm thinking of? Sir William, yeah, he is the guy behind the guy behind the armor. Yeah. So yeah, so maybe you know that magic has sort of turned you know Plastic Man this kind of orange color rather than the sort of translucent green from before. Yeah. And then and then plus it also has a nice contrast because if he was still the translucent green that would kind of be obscured with all the green lantern energy going on now. So it gives him a nice chance to pop out from the image. Right. Uh page 14 we get a nice reference to Plastic Man and the Spectre working together in the Secret 6. We only saw the one story but I like the idea that they were a team for a while, even though the timeline might not work out specifically. Mm-hmm. Trying to see where you're at. Uh, the page after the splash page. Okay. Where they're yeah. sending down, he says, just like old times, Gunter. Thanks. Oh, yes. They really need to number these pages. Yeah, that's... Podcasting easier. That's one of the things that I've, that I've had a problem with in recent episodes of Just One of the Guys. They stopped numbering the pages. Mm. So... I'm like, okay, is this actually Paige? And I have to, yeah, you know, sometimes I'll have to pull up scans of them and kind of look at the, because the scans pages are numbered on the side. Ah. So, but yeah, it, it would help, you know, if DC would number their pages to, to allow podcasters like us to talk more effectively about the books. <laughs> After that, I don't have any comments until the final splash page. Um. I guess I could say something about page 16. I did not catch that this was Superman's Fortress of Solitude that the Tangent Superman had yeah. gone to. I, and now that I look at it, I'm like, that is right out of... Now, at the time, they 
had they worked that uh, Superman's fortress was sort of analogous to the Donner fortress of solitude with the yes. sort of crystalline. Yes. Okay. And see, that just didn't, that didn't jive with me. I didn't really catch that until now, but now that you mentioned that, I'm like, that is the Superman fortress of solitude. And At least I, the, I, I assume it's supposed to be the fortress of solitude because it was the crystalline Donner fortress at this time. And uh, in the third panel there, we see like some kind of vaguely Kryptonian scrawlings. Mm-hmm. So I just made the assumption, but well, and then that that kind of leads into page seventeen. The tangent Superman has just brought some of the world's worst villains into the the sanctum sanctorum for Superman. This mm-hmm. is supposed to be his special, isolated place that no one's supposed to know about, and Lex Luthor is right there. You don't think Lex is going to be, you know, co-opting some of the tech in all of this while, you know, Tangent Superman's, you know, jibber-jabbering with world leaders? Yeah. He's going to take a little piece of that crystal thing, take it back to his base or his hideout, <laughs> and and try to make an entire new uh, continent out of it. And he's going to kidnap Lois Lane and their son in a boat and – wait a minute. Let's hope that never happens. <laughs> Let's hope that never happened. In fact, it never did happen. Let's just keep that. Wrong! <laughs> oh, sorry, Brandon Routh. You know, I'll say this. I didn't think Brandon Routh was a bad Superman. I don't think, you know, I think he was kind of a He did a great stalking. job for what he was asked to do. Yes. Which and I play think, Christopher Reeve's Superman. Mm-hmm. And so. I, th- I think that's, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but I think hey, that's we're kind all of about tangent here. So. That's true. I think I think that's what we've had with the past couple of Superman. I think Henry Cavill in Man of Steel did a good job playing the Superman that he was, you know, directed to play. Right. And I'm hoping that once we get to this new Batman versus Superman, or Batman v Superman movie, that we'll see Henry Cavill play a person who is more like the Superman that I think you and I are accustomed to. You know, the Superman who was hopeful, the Superman that, you know, wants to save people, who who, who isn't as dour. There was a bit of dour feeling in that Superman. And I want to see the Superman and Batman be Superman being uplifting. Yes. And I think we're going to get more of that. I really, really hope so. <laughs> but uh, this isn't a Superman podcast. We're here to talk about the tangent. And I'm here to talk about this last splash page, which is which is awesome my note for this page is this isn't going to end well for someone nope either either the tangent superman is going to be betrayed by these guys because let's face it they're all evil or the earth's heroes aren't going to be in for some deep deep trouble because i'm i'm trying now there's only one person that i'm not exactly certain of you know going sort of from left to right we've got i guess the dark archer or I'm gonna assume that's someone from Green Arrow's line of uh, I, yeah, Merlin. I, I, it's either Merlin or the Dark Archer. They might be the same person. Okay. I'm not really up on my Green Arrow villains. No problem. Uh, then we've got Scarecrow, Black Manta, which you know you've got Black Manta around. Where the heck is Aquaman? Again, if he's dead, that's upsetting. Uh, Poison Ivy, Lex or Lex Luthor in the power armor, which is awesome. I'm assuming that's Felix Faust sort of floating up there. Yes. Uh, Captain Cole, the Joker, and then I don't know who the blue sort of glowy guy is. Do you know I who that is? I think that's Icicle. Okay. And then down... The uh, I, villain. Okay. And then down at the bottom, I didn't notice, that's Parasite down there, I think, also. Yes. 
So Superman's got some good villains represented. Batman does. Green Arrow does. Uh, you know, if they could have had Sinestro in here, that would have been nice. But I don't think Sinestro is really around Earth anymore. So they've got a got a they've got a lot of good Earth villains here. This this just definitely ups the stage for the tangent characters. Yeah. And just to clarify, I, I googled this as Merlin, also known as the Dark Archer. Okay, and there you go. Black there on the left. So, all right. Well, there we go. Yeah, this is a great ending to the to the story, and it it definitely makes me want to go and hunt down the next issue, which we'll be covering here in two weeks, unfortunately. But first, we have to cover the backup. Yep. Have to. Hmm. It's yours. Uh, and this is history. Yes, I know. I'm. I'm. Yeah, like a bandaid, just rip it off. Okay. We have history lesson chapter ten, and credits for this doozy are Ron Marsh writer, Andy Tong pencils, Mark McKenna inks, Dom Reagan colors, Steve Wan's letters, and Adam Schlagman editor. In the former Nightwing facility, the computer hacker Guy, Guy Gardner, coming face to face with Jenny Lynn Hayden's unending cleavage. I, I, I mean prompting. Thing, uh, to seemingly larger in every panel prompts, continues his secret fight's telling of the origins of the Tangent Universe heroes, this time focusing on Taylor Pike, a.k.a. the Spectre. Concluding some people hide who they are until they have no other choice, Guy stands up and transforms into a giant purple snot monster. He then snaps Jamie's neck before setting his sights on a very terrified Jenny. And I'm not making any of that up. No, no. You know, uh, I think I, I think I said last issue. I kind of, uh, I kind of speculated that guy might be some sort of hero or something. I said I saw uh, an image of sort of Harry Potter s lightning bolt on there. I thought he might have something to do with Captain Marvel or the Wizard Shazam or something. Mm-hmm. No, he's basically a big amorphous not monster called Clayface. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I really enjoy Ron Mars's work, but I feel that his heart just wasn't in it for this. Uh, the, I think he's. I think if he, we've got and we've gotten to the point in here where we're coming to the end of you know stories that we need to know about these characters, and I have a feeling that the last two stories for this history lesson thing are going to be about, you know, the sea devils and wonder woman, because that's the only way that this thing could get even more boring and me not care about it anymore. Well, spoiler alert, there is no backup in the final issue. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's the main story. Okay. Well, well, that's, that's fine then, but yeah, we can hold out hope that we get wonder woman and the sea devils in one issue. Yeah. Let's, let's keep our fingers crossed that, you know, while guy is rampaging around as purple, oozing snot monster thing that he relates the story of the sea devils to Hootie McBoobledge here. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> Yeah, I don't have anything to say. On about the bright it. side, I, I think we learned a little more about Taylor Pike's uh or Yeah, yeah, Taylor Pike, not Tyler Pike as as they called him in the story, but um, I think we learned a little more about his origin, so to speak, because I don't think we were given this amount of detail in the Secret Six issue. No, they, they kind of said that he was 
sort of a tech guy and right. kind of a, a wealthy, wealthy scientist, philanthropist type person, that sort of thing. But, you know, other than that, there is really not that much going for this. Yeah. The artwork is still moderately all right. But I think trying to shoehorn an ongoing story into it and sort of ending with suddenly guy turning into this clay face monster is just I don't know it doesn't do it for me I wonder if these wouldn't have been better do you remember I'm not sure if you ever read the series but in 52 and countdown they had like two page backups where they would just take a character like Superman or you know Guy Gardner and say the secret origin of Guy Gardner and they would hire a Mark Wade wrote a lot of them and then they had a different artist for each one, depending on who the character was. But they would just, in two pages, tell the secret origin of that character. Sort of like a who's who type entry? Yeah, yeah. You know? Because that's basically what this is, but with framing sequences that kind of just drag it down. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't disagree with you. I think if they would have done a sort of who's who type thing and just done, you know, e- even if it were sort of framed with, you know, someone looking into it, if it were like Jenny Lynn Hayden accessing a computer and it bringing up a screen of this is uh, the tangent Superman, right. you know, he was born here. This is his story. This is what happened to him. This is all this and make it sort of like a who's who entry. I think that would have been really kind of interesting. That would have uh, kind of uh, been akin to the secret files and origins type stuff that they did in yeah. the late nineties yeah. where they had sort of who's who entry type things there. I think that would have really worked and you probably could have gone even more in depth with the characters. You could have maybe gotten different artists to come in and just draw the sort of who's who type thing where you've got the character in the foreground and then the serpent, you have the character unmasked and him doing certain things or her doing certain things. So maybe that would have been the way to go. And you could have even gotten Ron Mars to come in and write them, but uh, you wouldn't have to be saddled with this sort of goofy framing sequence story that really hasn't been all that entertaining. Right. But, you know, who are we? Who are we? We're not uh, paid DC writers, unfortunately. And besides, this is, what, almost five, six years old now, so, eh. Would have been nice, though. Yeah. But, but I, that's all I but, got. Well, that's all I've got too, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Like I said, I, I'm looking forward to reading the next issue. Dan Jurgens is truly, truly bringing it. I think he's ramping up to an excellent conclusion. The inclusion of the DC supervillains is going to make things really interesting, and I can't wait to read the next issue. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll be taking on that next issue here in a couple of weeks. Until then, if you guys would like to write into the show, you can reach us at tangent at greatcrypton.com. Send us emails there. You can also go to the blog site at greatcrypton.com and leave postings whenever the show is uh, put up. Plus, if you'd love to or if you'd want to, we'd love you to go to iTunes and leave us a review. A five-star review would be great. Uh, If you want to leave us a lesser one, um, Sure, I don't know why you'd leave us a lesser one unless you really enjoyed us. Leave a five-star review. It helps people uh, find out about the show, and uh, we really appreciate you uh, downloading and listening. So until next time, everyone, thanks for downloading and listening. I could say that again. And, <laughs> and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.
You've just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Hosted by me, Michael Bradley. And me, Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places. Most notably, Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review. Maybe even a five-star one. Every review helps more people find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about the books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Send us an email at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your comments on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. And all of these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com. Speaking of Two True Freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at TwoTrueFreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. Special thanks to Bob Fisher for providing this episode's intro. Bob is host of the excellent Superman Forever Radio, which you can find at supermanforever.com and also makes occasional appearances on some of the many shows on the Two True Freaks Network. Yeah, see, when I don't script things out, I repeat things ad nauseum and just <laughs> make a fool of myself. But we really like that they downloaded and listened. That's, that's the important thing. I, I, think, I think I need to emphasize that we're really appreciative of them downloading and listening. Oh. I've been liking Batmite. I, you know, it's, I read the first issue. It was fun. I, I look forward to the second. It's kind of, it's kind of cartoony. It's, it's not taking itself too seriously. There's a lot of reference to the sort of there's there's a sort of DC Warner Brothers uh, Looney Tunes type feel to a lot of the dialogue, but uh, I'm enjoying it. I, I actually uh, since it's only twelve issues and it's only two ninety nine an issue. Is it, is it twelve? I thought it was six. Well, it might be six. Then I'm not certain. I know they're doing a lot of these sort of short run 
uh, miniseries type thing. So if it is six, even better. That's you know only half the money I'll have to spend for it. But I've been enjoying it. It's uh, you know, like I said, I've been looking for more fun books. And aside from like the Star Wars books from Marvel, uh, I'm reading Batmite and I'm reading Howard the Duck, which I've been. Which has the sort of it's sort of like the same thing as you're getting in Bat Night, but a little bit more snarky. <laughs> I mean, check that out. Uh, I, I enjoyed it, and there's a sort of recurring a recurring theme in the Howard the Duck books where Howard has the cell phone number of Spider Man on it, and every once in a while he'll call Spider Man up. But uh, things happen where, uh, like like in issue two, he gets captured by these aliens and he's uh while it, before he's captured he was on the phone to spider-man trying to call him to meet him someplace and he gets captured howard gets captured and spider-man comes there and finds the phone and he's like oh no i failed again just like uncle ben why why and it, it, mm. throughout all the books there's always something happening where spider-man gets called in to sort of rescue someone he comes in at the last minute and it looks like he's failed, and he references Uncle Ben. It's sort of a running gag, <laughs> but uh, it, it's a it's amusing in its own sort of snarky way, and it's not as hyper political as the uh, Steve Gerber Howard, Howard the Duck oh, series was. But it's it's fun. Did you read Bizarro? I have not, but I heard. Um, did did Bob Fisher cover Bizarro on yeah. on his last? Uh, I know someone talked about it on... No, it was um, Tom Panarese talked about Bizarro on Pop Culture Affidavit. He did that 80 years of DC Comics. Mm -hmm. And he... I know we talked with Michael Bailey about the... Not the Bob Hope, but the Jerry Lewis comic. And then he talked about Bizarro. That sounds like a blast. Him and Jimmy Olsen uh, teaming up as Batman and Robin. That sounds... (laughs) That sounds hilarious. I've only read the first issue, but it, it's the one, one of the only comics in recent memory that literally made me laugh out loud. Really? Yeah. I may have to go check out the back issues of that. And it remains to be seen. It might be one of those situations where by the time the series is over, like the, the end of the sixth issue, I'm kind of tired of it. But the first issue was really fun, and I'm looking forward to the second one. See, that's that's kind of how I'm feeling with the Batmite. There's a bunch of comedic stuff in there that I think could possibly get old. But Jerkins is also seeding it with this sort of idea that Batmite has been banished from whatever fifth dimension that he's in. And I think that's sort of a back issue. That's sort of a lingering uh, subplot of the story that mm-hmm. I think will get resolved by issue six. But I, I'm enjoying it. I'll have to check out Bizarro. If I can pick him up in, you know, in the back issues or the back issue bands, I'll go check him out. Because I've heard, you know, I've heard nothing but good things about it so yeah. far. I've been getting a lot of spam, like robo friend requests on Skype lately. Yeah, I I've got one from Magical Dime Twenty Three, which has a picture of a very chesty girl with a hat <laughs> in a pool. Then who else do I have? Penguin dot kind nineteen, which I don't have a photo for, and. E-K-Y Kitty Bella 41. <laughs> Sounds like a legit yeah, person. Yeah, they, they absolutely sound uh, completely legitimate, not wanting to hack into my uh, to my uh, computer and download all my information. So, yeah, they, they sound like exactly the kind of people I'd like to accept friend requests from. Uh, 
Uh, Andy Leyland has in his uh, contacts. uh, Let me see what it says. It says something about who are, let's see, who are Pookie Flirts, Diva Kitty, and, and Tickle Girly, and why do they want to be my friend?